Hey everyone, our topic today is understanding full band capture and RXMER. I'm Brady Volp, founder of Nimble This and the Volp Firm. Welcome back for Get Your Tech On, our show on all things DOCSIS. Back with us is John Downey, Senior CMTS, Technical Leader of Cisco Systems. John, welcome back, and how are you doing? Uh, doing very well. How are you doing? Uh, outstanding. <laughs> Looks like you're broadcasting out of a new location today. Yes. Good to see that. Um, so, otherwise, what's new with you, John? Uh, you know, getting ready for SCTE. I did. Uh, I submitted an abstract, but it wasn't accepted because I just didn't put that much information in the abstracts. Uh, you know, I thought with uh, Ron Burgundy status, I would just say <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> you are. You are. Well, we saw your paper in uh, in uh, the Broadband Library magazine. So good article. Yes. Good read. Yeah, that was uh, that was good timing. That's basically what I wanted to talk about uh, at SCTE. But you and I talked about it plenty of times on our podcast. And how do we offer one gig upstream speed, right? And 204 is available today. So we can do it today. And then here are the pitfalls, the pros, the cons, what to look out for. Uh, and there are plenty, right? And uh, some of the things we've already addressed and we will address. One of the big ones was leakage detecting, detection, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if I go to 204 in the upstream, how do I do leakage testing, injecting a signal at the head end at 138 megahertz? I, I, the diplex filters are going to block it. You can't inject it from everyone's house and then go around looking for leakage at 138 megahertz. Um, but that's sort of what we are going to do if we can utilize 3-1 modems to do it. Right. So we'll, be sure to check out that article if you haven't at broadbandlibrary.com. You can see John's article there. Uh, Yours too, right? Yeah, I also did have an article there. It's uh, you can check out, and it was on uh, Doxis going green, which kind of came out of the Angacom show. There was a lot of talk on on the green initiatives surrounding Doxis, the cable industry in general. So it's kind of a also a big deal. Not as big as Ron Burgundy, but you know, John, you got to <laughs> take the spotlight there, man. So. Um, on to uh, full band capture, RxMER. We, you know, we've covered these topics um, many times before, but I thought we'd take this opportunity to go take a little deeper dive and to really kind of cover what is full band capture, uh, look at some examples that we've taken from the field, see some of the things we can get from that and understand it, and also RxMER and kind of how they pull together because, you know, Ron, we've talked about Ron, John, we, Ron, John, we've talked about this before. Sometimes, you know, you can see impairments in full band capture that you can also see in RxMER, and, and sometimes you can't. And so we'll cover some of that today. Um, so first up, I, I have a slide here that kind of is like an architectural diagram that I um, borrowed from Broadcom that talks about kind of like how like what the difference is from the chipsets like why we how we can actually see all of the rf signals in a subscriber's home if we put this slide up we'll kind of understand this a little bit better so it kind of talks about this this top portion of the slide uh, it's kind of the internals of a cable modem and our old cable modems we talk about doxis 1.1 even the early 3.0 cable modems had an analog tuner on the front end and so with an analog tuner we really couldn't see all that rf signals going into a cable modem itself because it didn't have what we need this analog to digital converter 
And, and somewhere along the way, companies like Broadcom and Max Linear, uh, they started putting an analog to digital converter at the front end, which gives give us that full band capture capability. So we have that in, in, all of, in most DOCSIS 3.0 modems and, and all DOCSIS 3.1 modems have this full band capture capability. And, and so that's the bottom image of the slide. If you're listening to audio, you don't see that. But um, that full band capture capability right on the input of the modem gives us a lot of powerful capabilities, such as the ability to, it's like, kind of like having a spectrum analyzer on the front end of the cable modem or spectrum analyzer sitting in subscribers' homes, where now you have the ability to capture all downstream signals going into subscribers' home and analyze those signals. So you can, you can see a lot of types of impairments, which will talk about shortly. And even some of the newer chipsets, John, and you and I were talking this beforehand, gives you the ability to see not just, you know, your downstream signals, but you can also see your return signals, signals, you know, like noise and ingress inside subscribers' homes. So that's, you know, that's kind of like the overview of um, full band capture. Um, and then to tag on to that RXMER, these these modems, when you're using OFDM, the DOCSIS 3.1 technology, they also look at the MER of every individual subcarrier in that OFDM channel, which we'll see some examples of that in a little while. Um, so that's kind of the overview. Um, you want to see if what you have anything you want to input? Yeah, I always have input, of right? Yeah. <laughs> I have opinions. <laughs> um, one thing we don't show here is where the diplex filter is. You're showing a high-pass filter. So we're trying to show this is the downstream side, but I think in this diagram, the diplex footer will be on the very input like that. Uh, that's a downstream chipset. Uh, and then you would have an upstream chipset, right? Or uh, demodulator and an upstream modulator. Um, so it, it, the question would be is where's the pickoff point for your, for your visual effects, right? Your spectrum analyzer. Is it before the diplex filter, after the diplex filter? How am I going to get my upstream signal depending on where this chipset is? Um, and, and that's because you mentioned about the upstream side. And I, I talked to someone, I think it was Richard Proden at, at Broadcom a while back. And he said, yeah, we even had some uh, FPGA available on the upstream chipset and we could do an upstream I don't want to call it full band capture. I guess you could. It's just an upstream capture, but it happened to be on the upstream side of the diplex filter, so, which was which was kind of cool. Yeah, and, and that's a really good point. Um, so, so as I mentioned, some DOCSIS 3.0 and and all DOCSIS 3.1 modems can capture um, the the upstream side, as, as you're mentioning that that those frequencies below the diplex filter, and that diplex filter is again, you know, r- really what separates the upstream from the downstream. Um, so we we know that uh, you know, like Broadcom, and I I believe Max Linear is also doing this, where with some of their modems, and and they have a special chipset designed for this, where they've they I'm not sure if they've put the analog to digital converter in front of their diplex filter or if they have like just a separate pick off like a you know a directional coupler or something that takes the signal before the diplex filter and feeds it into analog to digital converter i'm not, I'm not sure exactly what magic they're doing in there but uh, basically what happens um you know some modems uh you can't see 
beyond the diplex filter, um, but you can see then you know if the noise is high enough, it actually goes through the the uh, high pass side of the you know the basically the the yeah. low side the it, diplex. It, it, it gets across the port the high to low isolation. Correct. Like so if, it, if it was 35, 40 dB of isolation, uh, you would still be able to see it, even though it's much lower than it really is. But my thought is. If you have a head-end display of noise and you systematically go through every single modem, it's going to be a lot, you might be able to say that signature in the head-end looks like this house. Even though that house appears lower because of the diplex filter kind of make it look lower, but if it is a single home creating a noise, then you could narrow it down. Correct. And and that that so that's really cool if the diplex, you know, we're just we don't. We can't see the signals be behind a diplex filter, but we have really high amplitude signals. Now, these vendors also make a version of the chipset where they actually pick the signal off before the diplex signal. So any noise in the how in the home, we can see very clearly what that noise is. And the excitement there is, uh, you know, if we have subscribers' homes that are leaking a lot of noise into the return path, we're going to see that signature. And then we can correlate that signature once it reaches the head end, the CMTS. And now we're able to really easily detect if, you know, if subscribers leaking a lot of noise into the return path, then we're going to be able to see that noise propagate all the way back to the head end. So we're, we're, we're monitoring these modems and we're seeing as these chips, these newer, there's kind of newer chipsets that give us the, the this ability to see return path noise inside subscribers' homes. We're monitoring as they get uh, more propagated into cable operators' networks, and then we'll enable that functionality and start giving the ability to detect return path noise. Um, so what we see right now, I mean, the, the main typical view is really looking at the downstream. That's our that's the big focus and that everyone's doing in the industry today from a full band capture standpoint and looking at downstream signals. But we, we know in, in the not in really the very near future, because we see a lot of modems that will also be able to do the same thing in the upstream. So looking at the upstream view, I've got a slide here that um, shows kind of what we call the typical view, looking at subscribers' modems in the downstream and looking at you know, all the SC qualms, we can see analog signals, we can see pilots, we can see OFDM channels, all the way from you know, typically like 54 megahertz up to 1.2 gigahertz. Now, um, DOCSIS 3 modems don't go to 1.2 gigahertz, but most DOCSIS 3.1 modems go up to 1.2 gigahertz, which is fantastic for anyone looking to go to you know, a high split and have that type of visibility. The typical types of impairments, and, and this the source of this slide is from Comcast, where they, they put the, the main types of impairments that we see together are standing waves, resonant peaks, LTE ingress, FM radios, sockouts, roll-offs, filters, and adjacencies. I, I talked through those real quickly because I, I think we'll want to kind of dive into these a little bit more and talk about what they mean. So, so standing waves... Um, we're, we'll see some of these. I have examples of standing waves. We see a ton of standing waves in full band capture. 
And these are almost like, you know, impedance mismatches, unterminated. Lots of things cause standing waves when we don't have a cable network that's 75 ohms. They're probably one of the more common impairments we see in the downstream. I'm not sure if you've seen many of these uh, in, in your work, John, with like sweep and stuff. You've probably seen this all the time, right? Of course, of course. I mean, that was our that was our quickest way of uh, determining the fault distance or distance to a fault, doing the uh, what do we call it frequency domain reflectometry <laughs> instead of an OTDR or a TDR metallic TDR. Um, we would do frequency and look at the standing wave and do the formula to figure out distance to the fault, which is basically the premise behind PNM and the original PNM and and looking at upstream equalization and doing mathematics to figure out distance between two impedance mismatches, like a cavity, right? Um, so yeah, it's, the standing wave is very typical. The, because it's inversely proportional uh, to that standing wave, the tighter the ringing is, the farther the problem is away or the bigger the cavity is. Uh, the, farther, the, far, the closer the problem is, the, the, the ringing looks farther apart. And if it's far enough apart on your spectrum display, it might not even look like ringing or a standing wave. It looks like a signature when, in fact, it's actually a standing wave. Yeah, so I like to start with standing wave and a full band capture because for, for techs in the field that have been working with sweep equipment, this should be something that, that relates to them. Although when they see it the first time in full band capture, they may not make that initial connection that, you know, they've been, they've been dealing with standing waves and sweep equipment for years and years and years. But when they see it in full band capture, it's it's really the exact thing, and they're dealing with the same same type of impairments. They're just seeing it a little bit different now because it's it's on top of signals. Resonant peak, which is the the next impairment that I'm showing on here, this is something that I dealt with all the time when I was uh, designing RF amplifiers. If you don't have good grounding on the lid with RF amplifiers, and 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 like this is something we drilled, uh, all you know, drill down to people all the time. When you tighten the lid on an RF amplifier, there's like this you know star pattern that you need to tighten it down. You need to tighten every bolt down correctly on an RF amplifier. And there's sometimes this little finger stock, you know, these little pieces of metal shielding inside an RF amplifier. We kind of recommend that you know if that finger stock. It's, Sometimes held on with tape and stuff, with screws, who knows? You know, don't lose that finger stock, put it back on because that, when you close the amplifier lid, that finger stock and all the gasketing around, tightening the screws down, the bolts on the amplifier lid in the right pattern, all ensures that we have good grounding between the lid and the module itself. If you don't have good grounding, we end up with something called a resonant peak because the RF amplifier itself is starting to resonate. It's, it's starting to get too much gain at certain frequencies, and that is not something we want. It, it loses its flat gain pattern across its, its full RF spectrum, and it, we get these little peaks, and those are called resonant peaks, and that causes problems because you have a peak, and then right beside that peak, you have a, a valley. Um, if that peak gets in a, you know, just on a SC-QAM channel, um, the SC-QAM channel itself will be able to be demodulated by the set-top box or the cable modem, but the valley right beside the peak, then that can have problems being demodulated by the set-top box or the, or the modem. Um, so, uh, John, I don't know if you have input on resident peaking. It's, it's kind of easy, it's, but it is something we see, 
And definitely when you have, you know, gasket issues I, I, or yeah. untightened amplifiers. And, and, and I would add that uh, usually bad grounding, uh, people screwing up diplex filters or just moving things they shouldn't or bad. The lid is all torqued and all that. Usually end up with suck outs and problems of that nature. Uh, when I get a resonant, basically you create a tank circuit. There was two issues I've seen. Jim Coons provided one years ago. One was back in the day when we had one-way amplifiers and you had to cut the little wire to put a diplex filter in and people didn't cut the wire. They just put the diplex filter on top of it. So the signal would go through the diplex filter and the wire and make a loop and that would create an oscillation. And sometimes that might've been around two megahertz, three megahertz, whatever. The other one you and I dealt with when we worked at C-Core, just you and I worked at C-Core. Not, not Mia. Not Mia. <laughs> <laughs> had to get that in there. Um, remember the day when we had uh, uh, powering through an amplifier. So you have an input fuse, output fuse, and then you have a path through the low side of the diplex filter, and then you have a path through the power path because now you have a complete path through the RF chokes, yep. the input-output fuse, and the low side of the, the uh, diplex filters. And we had a loop. And the gain, the high gain upstream was more gain than the loss through the RF chokes and back around again. And Another that's how you resonance. get with the runaway. Yeah. You get a runaway circuit there. It's like, whoosh, and then it caused an oscillation, um, and which caused the spike. You basically created your own CW carrier. Yes. There, there's so many opportunities to create. I mean, there's a lot of gain in these amplifiers. So basically, there's a lot of opportunities to create resonance at you know various frequencies. So that that's basically where you know we see these resonant peakings, and there's lots of opportunities to go wrong if you don't do everything just right. So the next thing we'll talk about, and, and I have an image of it, is LTE ingress. So that's you know that's coming from cell towers, cell phones. It's tightly coupled with a fourth image I have on here, which is FM radio ingress. So any time in a downstream that you have you know any type of broken grounding, you know, loose connectors, you can get either LTE ingress, you know signals coming off the air, or FM radio ingress. These can cause, typically your FM radio ingress is not going to cause problems with your any SE qualms or your uh, DOCSIS channels because we typically, typically, I, I do see systems that do it, we don't place uh, any type of channels in the 88 to 108 spectrum, but some operators do that because they, they just run out of spectrum. But the reason we value looking at FM radio ingress is because if we know we have FM radio ingress coming into our downstream, then there's, you know, then we know we have like loose connectors, compromised shielding, things like that. And that, you know, those, if those signals can get in, if FM radio signals can get in, then also LTE signals can likely get in. And a lot of times we may have SC qualms or OFDM channels in a downstream that are covering up the LTE ingress and that will definitely cause problems on the downstream. Another thing, if we have signals getting in in the downstream, that also means those we there's lots of opportunities for other signals to get in on the upstream. So we can use it's kind of like a canary in a coal mine. If you have FM radio and LTE LTE ingress getting in, there's a in a subscriber's home, there's a very good chance that subscriber is allowing return path noise to go back up to the CMTS. So these are our canaries saying, hey, this subscriber's home may be allowing return path noise back on the upstream. I just started singing a police song in my head. <laughs> I couldn't help it. So uh, we should have had it queued up since start playing it. Canary in the coal mine. But uh, the other thing you missed was uh, off-air digital broadcast. 
So we have off-air digital broadcast video, depending on what city you live in, the FCC has given, you know, rights to certain towers for certain frequencies. You could look it up. I used to look it up in the old blonder tongue pocket guide, and it would show me Fox in Cleveland happen to have this frequency for on for over the cable, but here's what they have allocated for off-air. So you could see where it potentially comes in, and off-air allocation lines up over two standard cable TV channels. So it'll never line up under a qualm. It'll line up under two qualms. Right. Because they don't, they don't, and they don't use regular qualm, right? They use eight VSP, vestigial yep. sideband. So it doesn't line up right under uh, a qualm. It'll actually take out two qualms. But with full bandwidth capture, you should be able to see that. Yeah. Because it's lining up. You know, normally two qualms side by side. If you zoom in, you'll see where the, the qualms roll off. Now, if there's off-air digital broadcast right in the middle, you're going to see it. It's going to be a mess, yeah. yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and speaking of the Blonder Tongue uh, pocket guide, I'm going to plug Ron Rannick's article that he did in Broadband Library, which was a a very comprehensive list of like of all the different types of, of references that are really helpful in the cable industry. Also, in, you know, so go to broadbandlibrary.com and you can check out Ron's uh, article on that because when we used to go to shows, you know, you used to be able to go and pick up all these different references and have them at your desk or you get them from colleagues and stuff, but companies aren't printing these out anymore. They're all going digital. So Ron put together a really nice list of where everyone can go and in one location get all the nice little pocket guides and references and things like that in his article on Broadband Library. That's going to be a very good source. Bookmark that and link it uh, because it's... It was, it was called... Yeah, it was called the mathematics of cable, right? Yes. All the math and all the formulas. There, there was a, quite a few in there. I, I give them a few that I use myself. I made Excel spreadsheet. I'm like, once there's a formula, just put it in a spreadsheet. Then you just plug numbers in and it'll do it for you, right? You don't have to memorize it. So jokingly, I asked Ron on, I think, uh, LinkedIn. I said, hey, when's the apps coming out? I mean, <laughs> we have apps for everything, right? And obviously, he's like, it's not my forte, but anyone should be able to just look at those formulas and Make an app. That and would be good. That would be nice to have an app, which yeah. is I mean, for everything. I mean, just our plug cell it phones in. have more computing have power yeah. than, a, than a computer, you know? So put an app out there with all these formulas and just plug in numbers. And Maybe I can one. figure out the azimuth and all that stuff or all those terms for satellites. And I can do resistors and I can make my own pie pads and you name it. You know, that's a great marketing opportunity for one of you vendors out there. <laughs> Put an app together with all these formulas and everything, and get your branding on there. Just just throwing it out there for some <laughs> vendor who wants to get in there and do that. Um, so suckouts, suckouts. Uh, you know, so we see a lot of suckouts. I have an example with suckouts. These are also really detrimental. You know, you can imagine a, a suckout is like a standing wave, except there's just one suck out one notch in the whole spectrum. And the problem with suckouts are if that notch gets deep enough. It's going to knock out one of your one or more of your SC QAM channels in the downstream, or it could it could come in your OFDM channel as well, which will block out a, a bunch of subcarriers in your downstream. Um, John, I, I don't know. You want to talk about suckouts? Maybe what you think they're caused by? Well, I have two cool ones I remember that were like head scratchers for people way back. Well, heck, I think the C-Core, this was, what, uh, 25 years ago? And, <laughs> yeah, I think it was that long ago. And um, one was, you know, as a as a RF outside plant tech or uh, installation guy, uh, trying to be nice and clean with your installation down the side of the house to the ground block and then placing your uh, clips 
every so often and trying to be nice and clean and um, every two foot. Well, if you put a clip every two foot, perfectly every two foot on drop cable, and you kind of smash the cable just enough, it adds up and adds up and adds up and adds up. That two foot is going to create a suck out, just like you talked about. Like little no, micro at, reflections. Yeah. And I, and, I can, and I can figure out the frequency it will suck out. It's probably going to be 492 times the velocity of propagation divided by two feet is going to give me the frequency where that suck out is going to fall. Yeah. So I created my own filter by trying to be nice and clean with my installation. So the moral of that story is <laughs> don't, don't put st- one, don't smash the cable with the staples, right? Don't yeah. smash staples are normally and two, bad. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and if you have to put them in, don't try to be every two feet. Don't be so, <laughs> don't be so know, perfect. <laughs> yes. Do, do like one foot and three foot and one foot of whatever, you know, mix it up a little bit. And, and the other, uh, the, the other one was remember the uh, trilogy MC squared cable mm-hmm. where, they would extrude the cable and it happened to have a little divot every time it came through the spool and it would have a little tiny divot every so often. And it was a function of the, the extrusion of the cable and stuff like that. And that thing being perfect actually created a suck out. It was like a perfect filter, six megahertz wide. That's how tight it was. And it was right at like 575 and then they doubled the distance would then put the suck out at like 1.1 gigahertz. And they knew it, but it was one gigahertz cable. And they knew there was a suck out at 1.1 because we didn't care. Now, if we're going to 1.2 gigahertz and we have that old cable in our plant, now we might have a suck out we never knew about because we never tested. So, um, and that was just part of the, the, the nature of the beast. That was part of how the cable was made. Yeah, and that- yeah it's... And another thing is unterminated cables that are just if someone likes to leave an unterminated cable off of a low value tap, like a Ford tap, that will create its own. You know, we talked about resonance, like a resonant cavity. To, if that piece of cable is, you know, half of the right length, it will yeah. create a resonant frequency, you know, maybe at 500 megahertz. If you cut a little bit shorter, it'll cause a resonant frequency at 600 megahertz. And so leaving unterminated cables off of off of drops or if it's in a subscriber's home, and subscribers will do it all the time, you know, disconnect a, a set-top box and just leave that cable draw, lie there. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, that's yeah. enough to cause, cause a suck-out. An unterminated tap is better than an unterminated cable on a tap. Yes, absolutely. You know, because if you think about an unterminated tap, by the nature of the design, it doesn't just leak out. Now, granted, it's not terminated. And if it was a low value tap, the signal would bounce back 100% reflection. But because there's no length of that reflection, it really is not creating a uh, out of phase reflection, like go down, reflect, come back, add in and out of phase, creating a, creating a suck out or a standing wave. Um, I've seen that case in head ends where there's a four-way splitter in the head end and people decommission some of the equipment, but they don't know where the cables go. Right. So they disconnect the cables, decommission the equipment, and the cable's still sitting there. And it goes somewhere. It could be one of those rack mount splitter combiners, and people don't question it because it's all terminated, meaning there's a cable plugged in, but they don't realize the other end of the cable is just open. And now an open cable with the center conductor sticking out radiates a heck of a lot more than a port that doesn't have a center conductor. So we found we've found suckouts on an entire node because someone left a a stub ca- an unterminated cable in the head end off of a um, 
off of a splitter. And, and maybe that cable they would use just to plug into a spectrum analyzer uh, for testing, but it would create a suck out on, on that whole node. And we'd, you know, we'd be out troubleshooting, trying to figure out what's wrong with a node, and you end up going back to the head end and find there's a, you know, a piece of three-foot cable there that was a test cable. Um, yeah. But because it was, it was not plugged on into like a 20 dB down test point, it was plugged into the same level test point that was feeding that whole node. So they're a problem. Yeah, I, I always have an F81 barrel with a 75 ohm terminator ready to go. And I have to disconnect the cable. I just plug on the F81 barrel with a ter- 75 ohm terminator just so I know I'm terminated. And if I don't have a terminator, like you just said, a 20 dB pad. Would be enough. Yeah. Because the signal to go through the 20 dB pad has to reflect and go back, so it's down 40 dB. 40 dB. 40 yeah. dB of uh, isolation on, on a 20 dB pad. That's correct. So the, the next couple ones are, are pretty simple. Roll-off, you know, most people are familiar with roll-off. That's caused, you know, maybe just because you've gone past the gain of the amplifier or you have a bad amplifier. Um, the next one is filters. So we use a lot of filters in our networks because we, we want to have like a data-only customer. So that filter will be blocking the video channels but not the data channels. And then the last one here is adjacency. So adjacency is normally caused in the head end where we're combining like our video channels and our DOCSIS channels, but we didn't we didn't exactly you know do a good job of balancing everything when we did that combining. So all these things we can we can see and we can detect with just a cable modem. And and the cool thing about this is, you know, we have we have thousands, millions of cable modems out there that are running this this capability twenty four set, you know, twenty four hours a day, three hundred and sixty five days a year. So that you know, if one of these impairments comes up, we actually have automated software that runs continuously that will say, hey, you know, this wasn't here yesterday, but it's here today, and that gives us the ability to automatically detect these types of impairments. So this this is gives us quite a bit of power when we're running. You know, we, we think of FBC as just a feature in a modem, but when you automate it all and you put some algorithms behind it, it becomes it's like having technicians running around continuously identifying these types of impairments. I wanted to add two things or one thing to the last, uh, the two before the last one, and that was uh, equalizers. You know, sometimes the amplifier is fine, Dodd-Lux filter is fine, uh, and it's just the accessories you plugged in might have not even been spec for what you thought. I've seen some people put a reverse equalizer into the forward path of an amplifier, and obviously it's going to screw things up. Uh, they're not uh, equalization from 5 to 1.2 gig. They're usually tuned 5 to 42 for upstream and maybe 54 to 1 gig for downstream. So you put that equalizer in a 1.2 gigahertz amplifier, it's going to yeah. roll off in yeah. 1 gigahertz because of the, the, yeah. the accessories. Yeah. They weren't made to go that high. And, and, and I think we're going to see a whole lot more of that as people start to expand their networks beyond 860 or a gigahertz or whatever their networks were originally defined for. So we're going to move into, um, we're going to start seeing, you know, what we can do in the power of full band capture and also RxMER. But before I get there, I just kind of want to paint this picture a little bit. And, and this, this, this specification or this slide comes from um, a cable lab specification. John, we chat a little bit about this. This is kind of conservative. But this correlates um, OFDM downstream modulation to uh, MER or RXMER. And you know what we can kind of see is like, you know, if we want to support 64 qualm in the downstream, we need a minimum downstream modulation or receive modulation at the modem of 21 dB. For 256 qualm, we need a minimum downstream modulation received at the modem of 27 dB 
um, MER, or we'll be calling this RXMER for receive modulation per subcarrier uh, in the downstream. We can see all the way up to 4096, we need 41 dB uh, RXMER, 4096 QAM, which is right now pretty you know, the highest modulation that we're running for OFDM channels. Um, and I'm, I just want to have 41 dB in everyone's head for 4096 QAM. Um, and I this is kind of really conservative. We can run a bit lower. John, what would you say we actually need to run for 4096 QAM based on your experience? So because of low density parity check, LDPC, and time and frequency interleaving, and how much OFDM is more robust than single carrier QAM, uh, 6 dB. So we're recommending that to split the difference, um, set up your thresholds for any type of uh, uh, automated feature to when to change modulation profiles or um, um, we call profile management, uh, graceful profile management, to do 3 dB. Kind of split hairs back, you know, so 3 dB about, one way. 39 yeah. dB is, is yeah, what number yeah. so, Well, no, 38. 3 dB from 41. Okay. Yeah, 38. Yeah. Um, and then even if I'm too aggressive with my threshold. I'm like, you know what? I know it'll break closer to 35, and I set my threshold 35. Um, the usually the algorithms will look at not just the MER, but also uncorrectable, correctable fact. Yeah, and really, that's the bottom line: is am I dropping packets or not? Like, if my MER is super low, but I'm changing modulation for no reason, why am I doing that? Really, bottom line is: are you dropping packets? As a customer, that's all I care about. You know, but you also don't want to be premature and or not react fast enough. There's a lot of what what ifs. Yeah. So you, you look at multiple things. I mean, so 38 dB MER is 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 so achievable. I mean, I know for for our listeners out there, imagine how many modems do you see today are running at like 38, 39 dB MER just for your SE qualm. So even if you're not running OFDM right now and but you're thinking about running OFDM and you're like wow I've got a lot of modems that are running at like 38 39 dB MER right now that means those modems could potentially be running 4096 qualm like the maximum modulation for OFDM but we're going to see some things, some interesting things in the next couple of slides that you know may make you pause and say, "Well, it it, it could be harder to get um, 38 or 39 dB across the whole F OFDM channel." We'll see some of that in the next couple of slides. So let's start off kind of looking, and and I, I want to show like the difference here. Um, so we we look at a full band capture, and that's what this first slide is. I'll zoom in on it. So the first one is like looking at the full band capture. We see a whole bunch of SC QAM channels here, and then we see this OFDM area. I'll zoom in on this. If, if you're listening on a podcast, uh, what we're looking at is a very flat OFDM channel area here. Uh, Looks absolutely perfect. And then if we look over on the right-hand side here, what we're seeing now is the, the what we call RXMER. So in that OFDM channel, we have a lot, we have thousands of subcarriers. Uh, for, for 25 kilohertz spacing, that is like almost 8,000 carriers, subcarriers. If it's 50 kilohertz spacing in the OF cha OFDM channel, it's like 4,000 subcarriers. And so every one of these dots, we, you know, little blips we see on here is an MER measurement for that subcarrier, RXMER, we, we call it. Uh, and then we see a couple places 
on this RxMER graph where the line goes off the screen, and that's called an exclusion band. The exclusion band is something really cool in the OFDM channel where the cable operator knows there's already existing noise in here. In this case, it's, it's going to be LTE noise. So we can just disable those subcarriers because we know if we try to run it here, we're going to get interference from cell towers that are going to cause our LTE to go, our, our, our OFDM channels to just get obliterated uh, by the nearby cellular towers. So we have two exclusion bands, and we're going to see that in the rest of these RxMER charts. Um, but overall, what we see with this cable modem right here um, is our 40 dB, 40 dB, M, 40 dB RxMER line. Pretty much the whole way across the board here, this modem is showing greater than 40 dB RxMER, which means this particular modem can support 4096 qualm across its entirety, except for one little spot here, right above 800, uh, 880 megahertz, where it drops down. So there's some tiny little piece of noise that came in that caused this modem to drop just maybe one or two subcarriers below that. Otherwise, the rest of this modem can support 4096 qualm across the whole band. And I would argue that uh, excluding LTE frequency means you're excluding it for everybody, and not everybody probably even sees that ingress because it's downstream, right? It's not like upstream where you have noise funneling. This is downstream. So any place that LTE comes in, anyone downstream of that ingress point is going to see the problem. But maybe it's only five modems out of 500 you're gonna make everybody suffer by excluding it as a preventive maintenance. Whereas you could say, you know what? I'm not gonna exclude, but I'm gonna make myself a mixed modulation profile for anyone that needs it. So if someone happens to report bad MER in that spectrum, I have a backup mod profile that runs 64 qualm uh, just in that part of the spectrum. And he only uses it when he needs it. Everyone else might run 4096 qualm across the board. Correct. And I, I think right now um, some operators are using exclusion bands because they're not fully utilizing their OFDM channel. They don't have enough DOCSIS 3.1 modems in their plant, so they're just being um, hyper-cautious yes, and yes. notching out some subcarriers so they, know they don't have to worry about you know, those known impairment areas coming in and causing problems. Yeah, so to be safe than sorry. They're probably apprehensive to begin with and then just feel their way, you know, get yep. their feet wet. And then as more and more customers sign up and the traffic gets higher and higher, they're like, you know what? We're wasting a little bit of bandwidth, so let's activate it. Yeah, you know, and they might do something. So our next slide here shows a little bit of a different picture. We can see in the full band capture, our OFDM channel looks pretty flat across the top. But now when we look at our RxMER, this really shows that you we cannot rely on full band capture all the time to tell us the whole story. Uh, we do see there's a little bit of noise. So now we're looking in the exclusion band of the full band capture, and we can see why this cable operator is notching out, um, creating an exclusion band in, in the OFDM channel. Uh, however, when we look at the RxMER, we can really see now why you know, the full band capture says, hey, everything looks nice and flat. But in this case, RxMER paints a completely different story for how this modem is performing. First of all, we can see the average RxMER is 26.28. So you know, remember we said we needed 38 to support 4096 qualm. Well, this modem's all the way down to 26. 
And and that's going to put us down. I I think that's going to be in the uh, uh, two fifty six qualm modulation arena at twenty six. Actually, just just below. I think we need a twenty seven dB for two fifty six qualm. It's probably uh, going to drop to the data profile, which is what the modem uses to register, which is profile A or profile zero. Correct. Uh, which and then it probably will never go above that because MER is bad. And if it's really low, it might and has uncorrectable effect. It might actually go to partial mode. Yeah, it's it's going to be a pretty, and, and we can see even at the, at the higher frequencies, it rolls off even even lower to a pretty low modulation. Um, so this this really shows the the value of being able to get your RXMER data from the modem, um, and getting RXMER data from a cable modem is actually quite difficult. You have to set up RXMER in the modem using SNMP, Simple Network Management Protocol. But the, the modem does not send that data back using SNMP. The modem sends it back using Trivial File Transfer Protocol, or TFTP. That is a complicated process to get that back within a, a cable operator that has good, uh, good restrictive security policies in place. Because remember, a modem uses TFTP in order to download its config file. So... Having good security policies in place means that modem is going to restrict TFTP from access from anywhere else because we don't want subscribers uploading or downloading TFTP files to and from the modem. That's how a lot of subscribers can uncap their modems. So we really put a lot of restrictions around TFTP. Now, in order to get that to like one of our PNM servers, the cable operator has to open up those that all those restrictions that they put in place so uh, getting this data from this rxmer data from a modem has been quite problematic um, with cable operators that have good security policies in place but once we get it it gives us amazing visibility like what we just saw in this screenshot um, so go back to that and did if you zoomed in on your frequency graph okay FPC, does it have the same standing wave no, pattern? It, I mean, it has some ripple on it, but it yeah. doesn't. It doesn't have. It's not really like that deep standing wave, and there's no indication that there's going to be a, a bad MER, bad RX MER, like what we're. I seeing. mean, but but the depth of the standing wave is going to be related to your y-axis, uh, uh, your y-axis um, gradient. Like, is it two dB per division? Is it five dB per division? Yes. Yeah, so, like, what are you doing? So on RXMER, it's five dB per division, and on the yeah. spectrum, it's ten dB per division. So we're yeah. we're still not mask it. Yeah, it's it could be masking it a little bit, but to the naked eye, you're not going to look at your full band capture and say, "Oh man, this modem has really bad problems." That that explains why the subscribers saying that they're you know they're at the lowest data profile or their modems in partial mode. You really need right. the RXMER data to be able to get that type of uh, understanding of what's going on. And Ron Hranek did a nice thing on this. I think it was SCT last year or year before about um, how a standing wave appearance on the receive MER yeah. uh, is, was related to uh, the reflection, like the reflection adding in and out. Um, whereas, so if the signal adds out of phase, but you're actually not affecting the noise underneath, uh, and it would give the standing wave appearance on that receive MER, but maybe you didn't actually see the standing wave appearance on the frequency display. Correct. Which was kind of interesting. You know, a standing wave on your frequency display really is dictated by where your pickoff point is of your test equipment. Mm -hmm. 
remember our pickoff point here is at the modem itself. Correct. So you don't, you don't see that reflection, but you do see it in the RX MER. Yes. Yes. That's interesting. So, um, please, if you like what you're seeing, hit subscribe and give us a thumbs up. We appreciate all the good feedback we get from our viewers and do feel free to drop us a chat. Uh, we'll try to get your answers as they come in. Um, so our next, uh, our next impairment, or, or, you know, how we're getting this data um, actually comes from, we, we use algorithms to identify impairments both in full band capture and also in RxMER data. So like if we see something that is, uh, if we see multiple modems that are showing the same impairment, John, we'll cluster those modems together and we'll actually show that, you know, as, as we're showing right here, there's a there's five modems in this apartment that are showing the same type of impairment. And, and that really helps us, um, as you know, helps cable operators and, and also helps us understand what the root cause is. So like what we're seeing right here, we're seeing multiple modems with the same impairment. That lets us know it's not like an in-home issue or it's not a specific subscriber that's having an issue. This is actually caused by an outside plant problem. Um, so we can see like here, we see multiple mo- modems having a standing wave issue. Here we see multiple modems having a suck out issue. And then here we see just, this is like multiple modems having just all kinds of badness, just bad types of issues. Um, that, that really helps segregate issues out. Uh, we can take that one step further, then we can look at one of those particular modems Here's a case where, you know, one of those modems from that standing wave issue that I showed that was in that that single apartment building, now we can see the standing wave shown in the full band capture is actually reflected in the standing wave of the RxMER. So sometimes we can see, hey, standing waves in the full band capture does translate to standing waves in RxMER. But, you know, in that other example, it wasn't like that all the time. So here, FBC bad and, and RxMER is bad. Now it looks like two standing waves, right? A really tight one, and then a really uh, uh, shallow or, or one that's spread apart. Yeah, so we probably have multiple impairments going on here. And there could even, yeah. you know, when Larry Wilcott was on and he talked about water in the coax, uh, this, this could be even water in the coax because it's more of an aperiodic standing wave. So very likely water. Yeah. Um, Roll-off, um, so this is really going to, you know, there's a lot of operators that are putting their OFDMA, OFDM signal at higher frequencies. So we, we talked about that. We talked about passives not supporting higher frequencies. Roll-off will tend to degrade your RxMER, and we can really see that here. As, as we have roll-off at higher frequencies, um, that is going to cause, you know, you, basically it's a lower signal. Lower receive signal at the modem for your OFDM channel is going to cause your RxMER to be bad, and that's going to drop that modem's profile down to a, a lower profile. So, you know, instead of 4096 qualm, you're, you're probably going to be running at 1024, maybe even 256 qualm in your downstream. As we can see, our average RxMER is 20. 9.82. So it's not going to be running in 4096 QAM with that type of RxMER. Yeah, roll up is interesting too because you know you as along with I, you know, testing uh, noise and performance testing and all that, know that noise gets affected by attenuation, just like the signal gets affected by attenuation. Okay. So if you have cable roll off, the signal and noise noise get attenuated roll off. the same. <laughs> <laughs> but but they get attenuated the same. So you could have uh, attenuation from cable, it's natural, mm-hmm. but the MER looks perfectly flat. 
because right. the MER is still the same. But when you have roll off from a filter, now you have group delay and other things that affect yeah. the MER. So it's not an attenuation thing. It's more like the filter creating a LRC circuit causing a group delay right. and things of that nature. So yeah, it's, that's an interesting side note is you might see a full bandwidth capture that has a little roll off, but then the MER looks perfectly flat. Correct. Like, wait a minute, how's that? How's that possible? Well, <laughs> it might have been natural roll-off from cable or something yeah. like that. And, and again, so that, that really illustrates why having visibility to RxMER is very good. Because you might, so there, it could be all the opposite of what I just showed in a previous slide. You could see roll-off in full band capture and say, oh no, do I have a problem? But when you look at RxMER, RxMER could be flat across. And you can say, I don't have a problem. I don't have to make any changes. Subscribers are going to be fine. And the flip side of that, flip side of that is FPC looks fine. But the MER rolls off. Yes, yes. So you don't know. You just yes. don't know for sure until you look at RxMER. Um, next slide. So we talked about FM ingress. I, I actually don't have a slide on FM ingress. I just wanted to focus on LTE ingress. So, you know, we said, well, this customer, they have a, a, a notch, uh, an exclusion band around the LTE ingress, but it actually doesn't cover the full LTE ingress band. So, you know, we don't see anything in full band capture. We don't see any of that noise down here right where, where we see the LTE ingress in the RxMER. So I can zoom in on that. So, you know, we would expect maybe we should see some of that noise in the full band capture, but we don't because it's, it's just buried in a noise floor. There's not enough dynamic range in the cable modem to actually see the impairment that's coming in but we see it in RxMER because you know RxMER sensitivity is is much higher than full band capture sensitivity. So we can see this noise coming in here. That's going to knock out those subcarriers and prevent them from providing data to that subscriber's cable modem. Or, you know, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's going to knock those subcarriers out. And we can see even up here, there's a little bit of noise coming in. Uh, and also right here, there's a suck out. So, you know, across this RxMER, we see multiple areas that's degrading it. The average RxMER is 32.54. We also have something that's mod called modem efficiency. The modem efficiency here is only 0.29%. Um, so that's really telling us, you know, this ideally that the highest modulation profile that this module, that this modem is configured for, the CMTS is configured for, is 4096 QAM. We take that and, and then we say, well, you know, ideally, what should this modem be running at? How much capacity could it have? Was well, only 0.29% capacity of what it should have due to all the impairments in there. And that's because the, you know, the average RxMER is 32.54, and we have a lot of impairments, in this case, some LTE ingress. If we didn't have this exclusion band, we'd see a lot more LTE ingress where this exclusion band is. So having visibility to the RxMER really tells you why, you know, likely this subscriber is calling in, and if they're, you know, if if they're really counting on the OFDM downstream, this is why they're getting really slow speeds on that downstream, or as you mentioned before, maybe even an impaired downstream. And to make matters worse, uh, at least on from my side, Cisco CMTS, and I think most vendors we prefer and push the three one traffic to the three one spectrum before we bleed over to the single carrier qualm. So you could be cross-bonding single carrier qualm with your OFDM. And if the OFDM is dropping packets, we're still pushing all the traffic to the OFDM. So really, when you start dropping packets to OFDM, you want to go to a lower modulation so you don't drop packets. And if it's still dropping packets, you want the OFDM to shut down, at least for that modem. So the modem will start using the single carrier qualm more efficiently. 
so that's interesting. I, I didn't know that uh, we would all, you know, we would do that type of push for that um, to to the OFDM channel, and and I think that's important for for readers to to listen. Um, we have a question from from Hank Yan Mayer Mayer. Uh, how bad is group delay in a fifty kilohertz subcarrier? So do we do we experience group delay? How bad is group delay in a fifty kilohertz? And it would be different oh, oh, than a twenty five oh, kilohertz subcarrier. Yeah, yeah. I, I see what he's saying there. It's like because OFDM has all these subcarriers, um, we don't we're not affected like we would a wider channel. Correct. Like a six megahertz or eight megahertz annex A downstream single carrier qualm, you don't want to put that big wide channel near the roll-off because the group delay is affects one part of the channel different than the other part of the channel. But if your OFDM is small little channels and you roll off each little one by itself, then it's not as big of a deal. Um, but you still have the channel to channel levels that are different. Um, yeah, I, I and, and we have we have um, it's it's not uh, it's not called really equalization now in the subcares. There's another name that I know the guys at Broadcom like to use, but uh, I, I think we do have compensation within a subcarrier. So even though one subcarrier could take a, a group delay impairment, I, I think it's not it doesn't have the same impact as a, an SC qualm carrier as you're indicating. Yeah, instead of like pre-Q on the upstream, Correct. it's equalization on the downstream. Correct. So another question um, from Steve-O. Uh, are LTE and FM exclusion bands required because we can't guarantee a completely closed RF plant? So no, they, they're not required, these exclusion bands. There's something that's a cable. They're, they're an option. There's something that you can add in, you can configure in the CMTS in order to, uh, you know, if you know there's some impairment in your OFDM channel, you can put that exclusion band in to turn off subcarriers where that impairment is so that you know no modems will be impacted where that known impairment is. Yeah, the, um, um, ironically enough, some of that ingress is not from the outside plant, but it's people putting their phones next to their cable modem. Exactly. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's brought on by the end users. Um, so uh, just one more slide I want to go over. Um, so I mentioned, you know, we, we correlate on modems that are like, you know, seeing common impairments. We also correlate on modems that don't see the same impairment. So this, this clustering that we're doing here shows uh, modems that are seeing in-home impairments but aren't seeing the same outside impairment. And the modem that I is highlighted in purple there, I brought that to the foreground. So these are, these are real modems that are seeing in-home impairments. And, and the in-home impairments are almost always worse than the outside plant-based impairments, you know, and it's not really to be unexpected, right? Because in-home wiring, drop-based, you know, the, the drop that goes to a subscriber's home normally gets more gnarled than outside plant, unless there's like, you know, really bad outside plant damage. And, and kind of what I'm showing here is these are the type of impairments that we see in subscribers' home that just obliterates uh, an OFDM channel. Um, you know, so my note here is like, does this support OFDM? So we see it both in the full band capture um, and we see it in the RxMER data. It's just, it's really, really ugly what happens. Um, actually, I couldn't pull the RxMER data from this particular subscriber modem because um, uh, this particular modem would not lock to the OFDM downstream. So if it's not locked to the OFDM downstream, then you're not going to get any RxMER data from it. So as, as you mentioned before, John, this would be like, I guess this would be called partial mode for um, OFDM, right? Yeah, I mean, you could argue that maybe the profile A should have been 16 qualm, 
But if if you can't even run 64 qualm to get a modem online, something is severely wrong with your plant. You know, you talked about also adjacent channel differences, and we've had some customers purposely set the OFDM 3DB higher than the single carrier qualm so that they could get better MER and maybe guarantee 4096 qualm would work. Right. And that, and that might be fine out to 860, maybe one gig. But when you talk talking about total composite power, you go out to 1.2. Uh, gigahertz. Now we worry about laser clipping on the downstream and total power into our amplifiers causing distortions. And yeah, I mean, that's the, the whole story behind the 1.8 gigahertz ESD, right? The extended spectrum doxis. What is my total composite power? How do I adjust power levels at different frequencies? What is my outcome? And um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's all I got to say. Yeah. yeah so, so that's <laughs> I, you know, what I find so interesting is when we do this, um, these type of analysis, we see so many subscriber-based homes. Like the outside plant impairments, they're, they're kind of moderate. Was, we, we're pretty good at taking care of the outside plant. I mean, you, you break off a connector, you over-tighten a connector, you're going to get some ugliness. The in-home impairments when we start doing this type of analysis are really bad, and, and they get even worse higher in frequency, which is what that previous slide I showed where, you know, once you start hitting 860 megahertz and above, things get really, really, really ugly in subscribers' homes because, you know, subscriber in-home wiring is just not very good, even when you're doing a two-way splitter to the back of the modem. It's just, you know, what, what we can do with drops and what we can do at the, at the splitter into the modem gets ugly inside subscribers' homes. So when we start talking about high split going to 1.2 megahertz, or gigahertz, going to 1.8 gigahertz, I think this gets, we're going to have really, really interesting struggles uh, for our technicians trying to keep uh, signals going at those higher frequencies. I always said that uh, higher frequencies are more temperamental. (laughs) I mean, one little like kink in your cable, you never even thought nothing of it because you never saw nothing. Now, all of a sudden, it is a problem. Yep. So... That's what I have for today um, on full band capture and RXMER because we're at the top of the hour. Anything coming up you want to plug or anything else you want to mention on this, John? Um, you know, we mentioned the broadband library just came out and uh, I wrote an article on 204 megahertz upstream, um, how to utilize that or exploit that for one gig upstream service, which is sort of our panacea, our holy grail of upstream, trying to offer one gig on the upstream. I mean, and that, and that was, I was sort of conservative or trying to be real on still allocating four single carrier qualm below 42 megahertz. I don't do stuff below 15 megahertz. I don't think it's worth our time. Uh, and then from 42 up to 204, you can do a, a block and a half of OFDMA. You know, 96 megahertz is the biggest block you can do. And by the way, you mentioned 4096 qualm. That's supported for upstream as well. You might not think it's doable or it's my own pipe dream, but uh, with DAA, distributed access architectures and remote FI, much better MERs. And we've had customers doing 4096 qualm on the upstream, not just downstream. I, I look forward to the day when the actual new chipsets come out in the CMTS and the modems to support 8K and 16K qualm. That will be my pipe dream to get that to work. And I think it would with uh, remote fi to the, the plus one or plus zero, like node plus zero. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that'll be that'll be very cool to see those types of modulations if they're actually working. Uh, we just need to we need higher MERs, but as you say, if you're doing node plus zero, node plus one, there's no reason we shouldn't be able to have high RX MER in order to support 8K, 16K, Quam. 
Um, so for me, what's coming up? Uh, I hope everyone. I hope we have a live SCTE Expo. It's, it's looking a little sketchy, like we may not, but hopefully we do. Um, I will definitely be there if it's going to be live. Uh, we'll be doing this uh, this cable games. We'll also, I have two presentations I'll be giving: one on PMA and one on machine learning with PNM. So definitely, you know, we'll even be doing them virtually. We'll be doing live. So I'll be looking forward to doing those. So hopefully. We'll have a great SCT Expo. Hey, maybe uh, we convince them if we have to do virtual, we can do just the Jeopardy side of the cable games. Because you and I were supposed, <laughs> you and I were supposed to be on the same team, right? Uh, I hope so. I think so. Yes. <laughs> so, all right. So, thanks everyone for watching. We will be back in another month with some more great content and back for SCT Expo. Thanks for watching. So long, everyone.